Welcome to the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mac Podcast is presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts simple and helps streamline communication with you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this podcast use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there who's hammering miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, well, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that spring 5K, that half marathon or full marathon that's on your calendar right now. They've got plans from Ben Rosario and NAZ Elite. Drew Hunter and Christine Thorne and the Tin Man Squad have their hammer and axe plans. You can always hit the classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Ambie Burfoot. And if you are a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Helen Taylor, Stephanie Bruce, and the rest of the NAZ Elite Squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. Give it all a look at FinalSurge.com. Sidious Mag listeners can get 10% off their purchases by using code Sidious at checkout. So check it out today. Our other presenting sponsor for the month is Brooks Running. They just released their Brooks Hyperion Elite 3. People who follow me on Instagram know that I've been a big fan of their Hyperion line since 2019. This is the latest edition in their Super Shoe category. It's got everything to love from the second version of it, and now a quick-knit upper that allows for feet of all sizes to fit comfortably. It's breathable, and as a result, it also yields better support while you're out for a run. They're super light to have you ready to fly on race day. It's a shoe that Deslinden wore when she broke the 50K world record. I've been rocking it as I make my return to running. The shoe is on sale now, so head on over to your local running shop or visit brooksrunning.com for more information on the Brooks Hyperion Elite 3. Support for this episode also comes from listeners like you. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon. Welcome to Andrew Ware and Jennifer A. Degenhardt for signing up within the past week. If you enjoy what we're doing across the Sidious Mac Podcast Network, whether it's this show, Run Your Mouth, More Than Running, or if you just follow us to keep up with the latest happenings in the sport, support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. On Patreon, you can give us anything from a dollar a month. We have some people who contribute $20 a month or $25 a month. And it's also that we can cover hosting expenses, plan for on-location coverage, hit some content trips, and just continue to have fun covering the sport. For those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Feel free to include any message to let us know why. It could be because you enjoy the conversations, maybe we're keeping you company on a run or commute, or if you just want to shout out a friend, teammate, coach, or family member who really loves the show. Consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. Those who chipped in the past week include Jenna Peterson-Bess, Marissa O'Brien, Christine Dursick, Austin Teggles, Jill Whitaker, Kelsey Batten, Jackie Seigelman, Jeff Colt, Joe Duffield, Joseph Jonathan Hipponia, Kate McNeil, Kathleen West, and Anthony D'Amato. Last but not least, if you've got a second to leave us a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, let us know why you love the show. This helps new people discover the show when we populate onto the top charts, and it lets future sponsors know what you think and why they should get behind the show. So thanks so much to everyone who has done so already. I feel like my guest for this episode doesn't need an introduction because he's been on the Sidious Mag airwaves constantly. Scott Fobble makes his return to the podcast after taking 7th at the Boston Marathon in a personal best of 208.52, which moves him to number 10 on the all-time list. That was a big performance for Scott since he decided to shake things up a little bit towards the end of last year by leaving his sponsor Hoka and parting ways with coach Ben Rosario and Northern Arizona Elite. He eventually decided to team up with coach Joe Bossard and spent the last couple months training in Colorado to prepare for Boston. We catch up on the decision-making process behind all of that, his brilliant race tactics and how they paid off in Boston, how he shifted his mindset after a big performance like this, and what's got him excited for the future. We also go through a bunch of the listener questions that you guys submitted on Instagram, so that's a lot of fun towards the end of the episode as well. So without further ado, welcome back, Scott Fobble. And now back for a 10th time on the Sidious Mag podcast, the one and only Scott Fobble, who at this point needs no introduction. There's plenty of episodes people could go back and listen to. And also, like when I put on Instagram that you're coming back on the show, I think one of the first questions someone submitted was like, so does this mean he has the record for most appearances on the podcast or does Des have it? But 
No, I think like you're far and away like the most, the biggest recurring guest. So welcome back. And this time with another fresh marathon PR. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's can't really be 10, right? Like I haven't been on, is it really 10? No, no, no. I think it's probably like five or six, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no, I mean, you keep the hits coming. You just end up back on the podcast. I think, well, technically Kyle, but he's more of a co-host on most episodes. So like he's lost his right as like a guest. Now he's just a, yeah. a co-host. So, yeah. well, welcome back. I mean, how how many burritos and, and cores did have you consumed since Monday? We're recording this Wednesday morning. A fair amount. Um, went out. You know, unfortunately, Coors Banquet isn't as easy as to procure in Boston as one might like. But um, had had a few beers last night. Stopped down, stopped by a local Mexican establishment, had a burrito and a couple of Coors. So um, I'm replenishing my stores. Well, I think the question someone else you know dropped as a uh, one of the fan questions was what why why Coors? Why is that your pick? Everyone knows you the burritos, but is yeah. Coors is Coors your pick? Uh, I mean, I grew up in Golden. Colorado, which is where Coors is brewed. And actually, like I've been staying in Golden for the last eight weeks. So like every time I leave the house, I see the big, I see the Coors plant. I do a lot of runs. Like there's like a creek trail that goes past the plant, do a lot of runs there. You know, I'm repping like my hometown and also it's delicious. Yeah. So that's another thing too, that kind of, we've got so much to kind of catch up on and just sort of like the life changes you've made over the last uh, five months or so. But uh, you just mentioned you've been in Colorado the past eight weeks. So officially moved back, like splitting time between there, Boston, like, you, you know, moved out of flag or what, what exactly is that set up? No, uh, my fiance and I still have our place in Flagstaff. Um, our lease is like through July. So no moves yet. Um, we're kind of discussing next steps uh, together it might be, Boulder, it might be somewhere else. Uh, and then I'll just continue to do stints in Boulder if I end up, if we end up moving somewhere else, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't live in Colorado yet. Cool. We'll get to kind of the life changes, but let's, let's talk about the race because that's the biggest thing people tuned in for. So, uh, huge PR, probably one of the smartest races run on given the day. So where do, where do we want to kind of start with this? I guess coming into this, Joe, in an interview that he did with Let's Run afterwards, said that you came into this feeling that this was the fittest you'd ever been. So is that, I mean, kind of how this training block lined up? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like felt the fittest I've ever been. It's probably the best I've ever felt in a buildup. Um, and I think in part of that, part of that was because we didn't like we kept it really simple. Like I did not do any workouts that I think would like really jump off the page. Um, they were all very just very solid, um, kind of getting something on the board every time out, as opposed to, uh, when I was with NAZ elite, we would always do these like really big indicator workouts and those lead to a lot of confidence. But I think Joe's, um, philosophy was more like, let's come in feeling really fresh. Like let's come in feeling really healthy and really fresh. And let's kind of get away from these big sessions that maybe, you know, here or there might've left me a little tired. So if you were to write a new version of inside a marathon, like there would be less of those big ones that popped at people. Cause you said it like, and that's a key phrase you guys have been throwing around. It's just, it was simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It would probably be a more boring book. We just had zero days that I like left feeling like, Oh wow. Like that was like, I really did something special. They were all just, they're all just solid, just very attainable paces, very attainable efforts. And um, it really led to like a lot of momentum. Like I didn't have any bad workouts. I just sort of, I had a couple of workouts that got a little grindy and I couldn't quite go as fast as I would have liked, but nothing where I just couldn't get it done. Cause for the most part, the big change overall is that you were working off of a nine day cycle. I think it was. So like you would go into the big sessions fresh. Yeah. I mean, it really wasn't like that much of a difference in terms of the like spacing of workouts. Um, yeah, Joe, you know, like I said, very simple. It's just workout, two easy days, workout, two easy days, workout. Um, and at NAZ Elite, it was pretty similar. It was like, you know, occasionally we'd take three days. Sometimes we'd take two days. Sometimes we'd throw some structured strides in there, but, uh, or do a medium long run or something like that. But uh, yeah, I've, I mean, since none of the workouts were like so difficult, 
the easy days, I could get a little more mileage and I could, um, yeah, I just felt a little better in between workouts. And for the most part, it was, I know he would be on the bike next to you for some of the big stuff, but solo, like no Scott, uh, no Rory, no Nick, no Matt. So like that was also probably like somewhat of a noticeable change, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done a workout like with anyone um, since, since I left New Zealand in like late November. Um, so that, that has been different. Um, I think it's been like sort of a nice change. I imagine I'll get at some point start wanting training partners, but, uh, but no, it like, I think working out alone is a little more of an adventure. Like you never really know a hundred percent what you're going to get and you kind of have to be on it every single rep. Um, when like, if you've got like five or six guys to work out with, like you really only have to lead one fifth or one sixth of the workout. And, uh, you can kind of like figure out a way to get through it even when you don't feel that good. And that's sort of a different challenge than working out completely alone, completely solo. It's a point I brought up with Des coming into this race, 2018, she wins the thing next year. So, so much, you know, attention and, you know, media obligations, appearances and stuff in the days leading up to the actual race that, um, you know, Kyle and, and Mac were blown away at just how much like the marathoners have to do, you know, in the lead up to the race once they get to, to Boston. So 2019 is crazy year for her after that pandemic hits. She runs last year, not a great race. So this is like the first year since I would say 2018 that she came in with like less attention and obligations to to take care of. And for you kind of looking at it too, is 2019, you run 209. And then after that pandemic hits, race gets pushed back. Last year, you come back, not a great race for you. And then this time around, you come into it unsponsored. We kind of help out by hyping up CJ Collins coming in as the top American from last year. So did that in any way help just kind of coming in with a little bit more of not necessarily the chip on your shoulder, but also just like uh, coming under the radar. Now give us, give us a couple points for hyping up CJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no, I mean, I know like I'm pretty familiar with what CJ has gone through where he like not completely unknown, but relatively unknown has a great day, gets a lot of attention and, um I think it can be tough to like um I think it can be hard to sort of like not shut that out that's not the right word but just sort of deal with it not not like as much as you try not to change when all the attention is on you it's like it's very easy to change in some ways because you just you just have more attention there or you have expectations like people have expectations of you and I think it's it's tough not to live like up to those or down to those whatever they may be um and you know the pressure you put on yourself changes a lot too um so yeah I was you know I loved seeing you guys hype CJ up that was great um and I I sort of enjoyed being a little more anonymous this time this is the first time I've been at Boston where I didn't have to do like any media obligation other than what the race had me do which is like it's like a lot but it's pretty minimal compared to it's like very manageable you know, until the press conference and fan fest and a finish line thing, that's total two hours over two days. So really not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. So I was, I was happy to kind of just hang out this weekend. Did at any point in the training block, you feel like you were sitting on this sub 209 sort of secret capability? I know like you, you weren't focused on time. The, the, the funny yeah. part was Justin asks, you know, is your Strava ever going up from this race? And you didn't even log the whole thing. <laughs> no, I didn't turn my, I didn't like, I didn't start my watch. Um, yeah, no, I, I, one thing I did really badly after putting like very concrete, um, like very concrete definitions of success out there for myself. Like you know, like going into the trials, I was like, I have to win this race, you know, and going into Boston, I was like, like winning is my goal, you know, and um, sometimes you run really good and you don't win. Like that's the nature of the sport. Like only one person in the race is like really only one person in the world in the marathon is good enough to always run his best race and win. Like, and that's Kipchoge. Everyone else 
can have days where they run their best race and get beat. So I, I, we were much more cognizant of that and not really, not really putting like a hard, hard definition of success. Um, and I think some of that comes from, you know, Joe's working with people like obviously Emma Coburn, who has run awesome on a world stage a bunch of times. And, uh, sometimes she's, you know, one time she won and other times she's run as good as she could, could have done and gotten third. And, um, you know, she's had, she's run really good a bunch of times and the results have only come through in the biggest way once. So accepting that we can only control what we can control, um, has been a big change, I think for me, uh, just, I got away from that a little bit. Yeah. It's funny because just before you signed on here to, to, to chat, I was scrolling through Instagram and I see Mick Yakovano's like, uh, Instagram posts and he in it wrote sort of like kind of the opposite of what you just said, where it was like, he wanted to go into the intentions of this thing to not just be top American, but win it. And then, you know, he did pay the price. He went out hot with the, with the pace and faded back. So it's like, he learned sort of the, that lesson that, that you just described there. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to say you've learned that lesson after it goes poorly once, but it's a lot harder to put into practice, you know, cause it was a lesson I knew. I, I knew that you shouldn't like only leave yourself one Avenue for success. I knew I shouldn't put that much pressure on myself, but then I, I did for two years. So, um, you know, I hope he does learn it. Uh, I hope that's next time he can, I guess, find some, other ways to be happy with his race you know i don't know mick that well but you know no, I, I mean I, at the I end of it he said he said no regrets so like yeah well good good for him <laughs> all right so then he was part of the three americans who decide at mile i think like five or six to go out with the lead pack and you kind of you know did the math and all that stuff and you're like that's 206 pace like i'm not going with that that was did, didn't seem like a hard decision no it wasn't for me because I think being in Boston, having been to Boston a number of times, like a lot of the times, both the previous years, there were times when that front group picked it up and then slowed down. So at 8K, when we were under 24 minutes and the pack picked up, I was like, they might slow down. They're probably going to settle and we're going to get back into this. And if they don't, if they don't settle, um, then they're going to run 206, 207 and look like I'm, you know, like I've said a bunch of times, like I'm a confident guy, but like you do have to know the math of what you can do and what you can't. And I knew we were on a good pace. I felt confident that a number of other guys had made the decision to hang back. And I still came through 104.26. That's the fastest I've ever gone through halfway. Like it was just going to take so much energy to go through what were they like a minute faster, mm-hmm. 50 seconds faster. Um, so I, I thought that this pack might settle and I figured if they didn't, then there was going to be a lot of carnage and I was going to be able to come back. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, it really wasn't a hard decision. I felt good about it immediately. And, um, yeah, I just had, I had faith in, in sort of my own decision-making process. It really felt like I was, I didn't feel like I was thinking out there. It felt like everything I was doing felt right. Cause everyone's running their own race. So there's no like audible chatter. These guys take off. Like, is your mindset also thinking, I know you said you're not thinking, but it's like, Oh man, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was sort of like, it's, I sort of felt like, okay, that's, that's like kind of a rookie move to go with that group because they, they like that same thing happened in basically the same part of the race in 2019 where there was this big surge somewhere between like 10 and 15 K and then it's settled and it's slowed and they, that there's fart looking up front. And especially when we had a little headwind, like they're going to like push and slow down and push and slow down. And I thought there was a pretty good chance that we were going to catch up in like a mile or two. Um, if we just kept running whatever, four fifty fives, and they ran like a four forty five and then a five ten or something like that. How much do you, I guess, put into just kind of like the, the experience, how much is that really worth in this race because yes, there's a couple East Africans who come from time to time and win their first time on the course. But I think especially so on the, on on the men's side uh, or the American men's side, like it's one that this course does deserve some respect. 
Yeah. I mean, running Boston is a skill in of itself, like knowing how the race goes, knowing what like you can do in the second half, knowing where the hills are coming. I felt like I had an advantage and also like knowing sort of the tangents a little bit too. Um, like once we got separated and it's kind of hard to run tangents when the whole group is together uh, in part because like the African runners don't really like even maybe it's that they don't really know the course. Maybe it's that they're not that worried about it, but they don't really, they kind of just run in the middle of the road and then they'll crash to the inside right at the last second. So once we got separated, it was actually much easier to run the tangents. And I found myself like telling the other guys in the group, if I wasn't in the front of the second group being like, Hey, we're angling right here. Hey, we're angling left. Like, um, just to sort of help them out or like, I didn't really want to lead the group, you know, I like, I wanted to sit back, but I also wanted to run the tangents. So if I could get whoever was doing the leading at the time to run the tangent for me, that'd be great. Yeah. Because there wasn't a camera set on you guys the, the entire time. What was, what was happening just kind of in that pack from kind of that moment where they break off. And then from there, uh, you know, you got, you eventually do start to make your moves, but that's just individually in that entire time, I guess, at what point did you start to kind of lose the rest of them? And I mean, cause hearing the stories from 2018 or 2014 when Meb won and just kind of like the, it's kind of like a legendary story of just like Ryan Hall and the guy and, and those guys talking up front about just how to make this an honest race. Like was there, you, you said there was some chatter happening in that backpack. Yeah, we were all pretty comfortable. Um, it was sort of like, like Colin Benny did some work up front and then uh, Trevor Hoffbrauer, he did some work and we sort of took turns leading that second group and um, there was some communication there. And then once we got through halfway, I was like, okay, I'm going to use that big downhill to Newton Falls, um, which is like 15 and a half. And I'm just going to commit to it. I'm going to hammer that downhill. and then then it's then it's the hills and then you're just kind of racing and I pushed that big downhill and all of a sudden I was like I was alone like I, I didn't didn't expect to have dropped everyone but I was and that makes your decision making like really easy when you're alone you're just just time trialing those last 10 miles um and ha also having run those hills is a big um big help as well having run those hills a number of times like I know I can push on the second one, when you make the turn at the firehouse, like I know you can push that hill because it's short and you get a big stretch in between before you have the next hill. You know, I know you can push heartbreak pretty hard because again, it's steep and it's short, but afterwards 21 to 22 is like one of the fastest miles on the whole course. Um, so knowing where you can push and where you kind of need to respect the course a little bit more, um, I think was a big help. It helped too that like, once I broke away from the, that second group, people were already starting to come off that front group. So every couple of minutes I was having someone to, I had someone to catch, which keeps you like really engaged. No, there's like no feeling sorry for yourself when you're closing someone down. Yeah. So when did you know it was going to be a good day? Like would any, at any point did it hit you have, you know, the time that you were on pace for? Um, I knew time-wise we had a shot to run pretty good at 10 K. Um, I knew that those middle like six to 13 was going to be pretty important, but, um, we'd gotten out fast enough and it felt comfortable enough where I thought, and the wind was light enough where I felt like we could rip. Um, but then I, I knew, I absolutely knew I was going to have a good day at like 16 or 17 because it just felt so, I was so locked in and I knew I was making up so much ground on people so quickly, um, and catching like pretty good people too. Like I caught. Lisa DeCisa pretty early and that's like a big you know it's like he's won that race like if he's falling off more people are going to fall off too um so yeah I kind of knew I kind of knew pretty early and then at that point it was like don't like put a limit on it like don't say like okay 209 209 be like no 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 this next mile this next mile this next mile get that next guy and I got felt like I got pretty goal-oriented task-oriented Maybe not so much the international athletes. Do you say anything to the people you pass? No, no. I, when I pass someone, I think like, I think two things, I think poker face and pass with them, pass them with authority. Cause you don't want to give someone hope, you know, like, like there are a lot of opportunities to feel sorry for yourself in a marathon. And if I'm not going to, I don't want 
someone I'm going by to like have a little, have something to fight for. I want to put them away immediately. Um, yeah. And I like, I did kind of with everyone. Um, I thought Elcano was going to be able to come with me a little bit, but cause he was still moving really well at 25 ish when I caught him, but some guys lights were out. Some guys still had a little fight in them, but you want to cut that out immediately. How I saw the splits. How bad was Cam War looking when you passed him? He was like, yeah, I mean, seven he, minute he pace. Yeah, he was jogging. Like you find, you kind of learn with some of a lot of these Africans. Like they really, really, really want to win. They really, really want to be on the podium. And once that's gone, once there's no hope from that, a lot of them are just they're jogging it in. Their day's over. They're getting to the finish line. And at Boston, like the fastest way to the finish line is to just finish. Like you can't drop out and get to the hotel faster. So camera roar was lights were out. Motivation was gone. Just trying to make it, make it home. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I saw when I saw the finals, well, even coming into the last two K when we got where you were at 40 K and the people ahead of you, I, I turned and I said to Kyle, I was like, I think he still got it in him to pass at least like two, maybe three people. We tried to really quickly set an over under on like how many people you were going to pass towards the end. I, I said it, I think at like three and a half. So you may have hit the, in the last two K was it the over or under on that one? Probably over. Well, I definitely caught Elkana. And Kim Moore. I think I did I catch him after 40k? Maybe, yeah. yeah. And I definitely caught Yimmer. Oh, all and right. And there was another guy who was just walking. He was just walking on Hereford. So I think I probably caught the over. Hit the over there. Okay, there we go. We gotta come up with more prop bets, I think, for 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 your next race. Yeah, um, definitely. A quick break now to tell you about our new sponsor, Therabody. This is a partnership I've been waiting for for a very long time. Calling all you athletes and weekend warriors out there, are you looking to cut down on hours of rest and recovery as you push for that next level? Recharge your legs like the pros with Therabody's revolutionary new Recovery Air Jet Boots. Recovery Air Jet Boots are the world's most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. For years, runners, bikers, and everyone who spends hours on their feet have had to suffer through leg pains and aches after a long, hard day. Clinically proven treatments like compression boots that pro athletes use have always been out of reach. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody, anywhere. With Therabody's exclusive fast flush technology, Recovery Air flushes out metabolic waste more fully and brings back fresh blood to your legs at three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles mean faster recovery, so you don't have to wait for the legs to be feeling great. Not just good, great. Therabody's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of its kind. They're truly wireless for anywhere on the go recovery, boosting circulation and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super intuitive, easy to use one touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. I took about a three month break from running. So now that I'm getting back into the routine, I wanna make sure that I'm able to tackle that next day's run feeling strong and recovered. So I simply just kick back at the end of my day, turn on some reality TV and just sit there in my jet boots so I'm not feeling that last run or workout the next time I get out the door. If that's not enough to convince you, maybe it's the fact that more than 250 professional sports teams exclusively use their body products and they're trusted by world-class athletes like NBA All-Star Paul George, superstar footballer Trent Alexander-Arnold, and champion golfer Colin Morikawa. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Sidious to get your Therabody recovery air today, starting at $690 or as low as $59 a month with the firm. Plus, recovery air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping is included, so there's no risk. Again, that's therabody.com slash Sidious. Check them out today so you can get your legs feeling great. Not just good, great. All right, so then... You, you cross the finish line, I guess, when we saw you at first. It takes us a moment to recognize that it's you because we had no idea what what exactly your kit was going to be. No. You take us, I guess, as if this were a red carpet, head to toe. What were, what were you rocking? Uh, are we doing that, like, that runner's world? Like, how much is your fit? Is your fit yeah, but, then, but, all, but also tell us if you went out and, like, bought this or, like, was it recycled? Someone gave it to you for free? Like, what, what from, from, from the socks to the hat? <laughs> uh it was just like a lulu hat i bought at the lulu in boulder it was a lulu singlet it was some tracksmith half tights and some lulu socks wow i bought it all i bought it all so uh <laughs> yeah i guess that makes me blue collar no, no no we we i was actually talking about that with joe to, uh, over the weekend um i would like to go on the record and say that i am not and have never been blue collar like 
I've never had a second job. I have a very cushy life. Like that is something people have said about me, not something I've ever said. I'm, I'm not blue collar. Um, happy to be called blue collar. I feel uncomfortable calling myself that though. <laughs> if someone did submit a question and ask, what's your Venmo? So that maybe you can make some of this back for what you dropped at the Lulu store in addition to the burritos and the, uh, but again, you just said you're not blue collar. So if you want, you can drop your Venmo. <laughs> no, if uh, a lot of people Venmoed me, you know, Corey McGee started a little uh, burrito fund for me. People hopped on that. Um, you know, I picked up a, picked up a bill for Haley and Joe at our post race uh, beers. Um, but no, uh, please don't Venmo me. That makes me feel, uh, doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. At this point, we're past the beers, uh, the post race beers night after. If you want to Venmo me, send it to a good cause. There you go. Yeah. If we go back to a couple months back, you make this decision. Now you've had two days to kind of process the result. How do we feel in general about the bet that you made on yourself to leave Hoka NAZ Elite and change things up to move to Colorado? team up with Joe Bossard. So all in all, I mean, one race or two races in, I guess now with, with, with the, with the half and now this, you have to be feeling pretty good about it. Yeah. Uh, certainly had some success right off the bat. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm proud of the work we've done. I feel like we've got a lot of work, like a lot of things we can still do, um, and still do better. And, uh, I'm excited about it. You know, I mean, it's, it would be, really tough to not be excited about like any partnership right now after two good races, eight really good weeks together. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it feels a little validating, but, uh, but honestly, I was going to feel good about that partnership, whether the race went good or bad, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed the last eight weeks. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun working with Joe. I had a lot of fun being around the boss team and um, I'm just, yeah, I feel good about it. I did like how, though, in your post-race comments with Let's Run, you didn't kind of throw in there that these, it's not just those eight weeks, like that all of a sudden this performance came together. You said it's two years, three years, four years of training. All the work I did with Ben Rosario is still in my legs. That didn't magically disappear. No. Yeah. And it's important to me. Like, I feel like anytime I say something like nice about Joe or like something about how I'm really enjoying my current, like people could take that as like a slight at Ben and NAZ elite. And I want to make it clear. Like I have no bad blood. Ben and I are good. We had a, like a professional, uh, split. We are still friends. Like when I go back to Flagstaff, I'm going to go back to trivia in our old trivia group. Like we're, we're good. And I'm so grateful for everything that I had and everything we accomplished at NAZ elite. Um, I had a really good time with Joe. I'm working with him now, but I still have a good relationship with Ben and I have a good, I think like base of my whole professional career, like really no big injuries, no like major time off. Like it's like a lot of consistency and a few changes here and there. I think we got some results. The comparison you made on the coffee club podcast that I liked was that you said how everyone kind of maybe pictures himself, one team, one coach for the, you know, your entire career. And it doesn't work out like that every single time. I took it a step further when we were on the broadcast and I said, like, not everyone gets the Derek Jeter career. And so that's sort of like what, what you're doing right now. You went from, from one team to the next and you still have a good relationship. It was, it was just your choice. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think obviously Ben and I had like a rough week or so in our relationship after we made that, had that conversation, but um, like, yeah, like I said, we're, we're friends first and now we just happen to not be colleagues anymore, but like, he's coming to the wedding in a few weeks. Like he's, you know, I'm going to see him when I'm in flag, like we're good. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that we're good as well. Like that's, that makes me happy. What was the sales pitch like when you reached out to to Joe? Because I mean, I think from just text and all that stuff we have with the, some of the rest of the city's people, it was like you know, for a while you were sort of looking and and weighing different different options. So 
I know people will will say he hasn't coached like a an American man in the marathon to to success, but we see what he's done with Emma in Chicago and what he did with Laura at the Olympic trials. So you know the marathon coaching experience, um, his his short resume on that side of things is good. So was it you reaching out to him, him reaching out to you? How did this all come together? No, I reached out to him um, after I split with NAZ Elite. I reached out to four or five coaches. Um, you know, a few of them weren't taking on new athletes. Uh, a few of them I just didn't necessarily gel with that well. And I got on the phone with Joe, like maybe a week later. And, um, I, we had a really good conversation. We had, a I was impressed sort of with sort of his ideas and sort of the, uh, his sort of skepticalness about certain things and his curiosity about other things. And, um, I just felt like, you know, you, sometimes you just meet someone and you're, or you're going to work with someone and you just sort of know it's going to go well. And I just sort of had that gut feeling that it was like, I know this is going to go well. I'm just going to trust myself. I'm just going to trust my gut here and, and go with it. Um, and then I just told him, Hey, if you are still interested in working with me and if the team, uh, is down to work with me, then I'm, I would love to work with you guys. Um, and I was also really like, I loved that his sort of, he was sort of like, look, everyone here is in Boulder. You're obviously not in Boulder right now, but we'll figure it out. That's going to be our motto. We'll figure it out. And I was like, okay, great in. And once, once I decided to be in with Joe, then it was pretty easy. I just sort of, I think I'm pretty coachable. I, I just want to do what he tells me to do and um, do it as well as I can and be as honest with him, like, as I can about how it's going and uh yeah i was impressed right off the bat on our first conversation and um i'm really looking forward to doing it for another you know for a while for another while you know every time you like you know like i said in that whatever the interview like you never imagine having to leave a team or switch a coach or something like that but also every time you go to a new coach you start imagining this is going to be where i'm at for the rest of my career so hopefully that's true Hopefully that's true. I would really, really like that. And, you know, I'm 30 years old. I don't know how many more years I'm going to have, but I hope that this is where I am for the rest of that time. I know your agent, Josh Cox, is working on things and maybe an offer or two or three or whatever comes through over the next couple of weeks. But what what are you looking for right now and what would be sort of a good fit in your setup? I know it's sort of like a company could come in and be like, we want to make this offer, but then that means you have to leave Joe and you're, you're riding the high of this success. So what, what is it that you are looking for in this, in this next contract that comes up? Yeah, I, I have made it clear to Josh and I, he's not by any means pushing me to do this, but um, I'm sure I would have had a deal already if I was down to like, take a deal first and then go to their coach second. But I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, I want to hire my coach. Um, I don't want to, uh, I don't want like a shoe company deciding who I'm working with. That's absurd. Um, so no, I will be staying with Joe. Um, if a shoe company is willing to sponsor me, they're willing to sponsor me in this setup. So um, in terms of like what I would like out of a contract, I'd like a million dollars. I would like a million dollars a year and, I'll figure out the rest of it. So, um, no, I, you know, I'm leaving that up to Josh. I know we'll be getting, uh, probably made his job a little easier after Boston. Any traction from this Darren Ravel tweet to Chipotle? I mean, cause like, that's the big talk, right? Like we want, we want outside bigger companies outside of the apparel and shoe companies to come into the sport and like throw some money around and like maybe your next race, you're rocking a Chipotle singlet, but in the past you haven't spoken too, too greatly about Chipotle. That's not true. I have always said, I've always said that all burritos are perfect. Chipotle is okay. a corporate burrito. You know, they're a corporate burrito. I don't think even the Chipotle people would say that they're a mom and pop uh, red tray, um, pictures on the menu sort of place. Like they know that they're not, they're still perfect. All right. They're not quite as perfect as a tacos Los Altos or as a Los Saltenos, but you know, look, if Chipotle wants to, um, you know, my, all my tweets are pretty public. Uh, if they look at it and they're like, Hey, we'd love to invest a, you know, 
some money in there and then I'm eating a lot more Chipotle. It'll be fine. They actually DM'd me and were like, hey, here's seven free burrito codes since you got seventh. And I was like, you know, really, you should be giving me a code for all the people I beat, not all the people that I, not all the people who beat me. You know, I think I should get there were probably 40 people in the uh, pro field. So I'd like 20. Wait, 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 why stop at 40? You should be asking for the whole. Wait, yeah, there's like 60,000 people in the whole race, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, I, I will be fine. Chipotle and I are good. Chipotle would can't like I know if this is now just taking this uh, joke to another extreme, just sort of like, but sort of like how with shoe companies, you're not allowed to wear any sort of competitor gear. But what if if Chipotle had said to you like you can't go to uh, La Esquina or like uh, any of these other mom and pop shops? Oh. That's that that ends some talks. That does, yeah. The talks are over. <laughs> uh, yeah, either that or I'm just like hood up sunglasses on buying stuff on the low <laughs> the the part to sort of like this whole being unsponsored choosing to do this your own way and kind of in in our text group that was discussed a little bit is just sort of the part that some people i guess kind of don't realize with the you finish seventh you're top american you run a fast time your stock and value has gone up had you not let your contract maybe you could have kicked in a bonus here and there but there's still sort of like that less guarantee that that performance doesn't happen if the product holds you back from finishing seventh or running as fast so how did you sort of like how are you kind of weighing just like the different conversations happening around the unsponsored runner right now um yeah i mean honestly i don't like love the conversations around the unsponsored runner I don't love when people when it's like said that someone is dropped by a sponsor when that's not like maybe that happens sometimes but for the most time like the contract just ends you know it's over like you have a partnership with someone and then the partnership is over at a pre-specified date like that's not being dropped you know um I don't love this like this man deserves to get paid conversation either uh just because like well, like you don't know what has come across their um come across their plate and what they've said no to um and like like i'm all for i guess i should qualify that i'm all for like fans like hyping up someone in order to like hopefully raise their stock i don't love it when the athletes complain about this because in addition to that like you don't nobody has to be a pro runner like if you're not making enough don't do this if it's not if this isn't worth it to you like don't go do something else, go get a real job and you'll probably make more and you'll have more job stability and you probably won't be, won't be working contract to contract and you probably won't be working or be waiting like 90 days on a paycheck. But so I, I feel weird when people like complain about their own contract situation or when people say they got dropped. Um, Cause this is all optional. This is all optional. And yeah, so I'm not doing that. I, I'm I've made it a resolution to myself to not do that. So in the last article, it said that you're dipping into your savings to just make this all happen. Is that like from the last couple of years and all that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I look at it sort of like a business uh, in the sense that like, you know, and I'm the way a little peek behind the curtain here, but most professional runners are incorporated. So I do have like, I'm Scott Fobble LLC is different than Scott Fobble the individual. And I pay myself a salary just like, um, a small business person who like owns a law firm that they're the only employee of basically the same. Um, and the company has made enough money over the last six years to where I have some runway. I have, I can pay my bills. I can pay the business bills. I can continue paying myself a salary. Um, you know, I will not like scraping the bottom of the barrel of like my savings or like taking out a payday loan or something like that to, to fund this. I've, you know, every business has, good years and every business has bad years. And right now we're in a dry stretch, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that I've made enough where I don't need to like hawk tummy tea on Instagram in order to, <laughs> to make payroll. Well, if you get back into podcasting, maybe you get through some, some podcasting. Uh, we're going to do it, Chris. We're going to do it. All right. I, it's, it's way more fun in person. And <laughs> I know uh, the, the pandemic hit your podcasting industry pretty damn hard. <laughs> Yeah. Podcasts, how do they even make it? Like it's, it was impossible. 
Friends, we are less than 90 days away from the start of the World Athletics Championships taking place on U.S. soil for the first time in history. Stop waiting and get your tickets because some of the biggest sessions have already sold out. Head on over to worldchampsoregon22.com slash tickets to lock in your spot. The championships will be held July 15th to 24th. It's going to be absolutely epic. We saw some world records get destroyed at the World Indoor Championships, so you know it's going to happen outdoors. The season is already in full swing, and the journey to Worlds has already begun. One of my favorite things that Oregon 22 has put together is the Next Stop Oregon campaign. They're highlighting the inspirational tales of athletes from the U.S. as they get ready to compete for some medals. Their most recent video features Raven Rogers, who says, quote, with an Olympic medal in my pocket, the goals just got even bigger, end quote. You know her as an Oregon legend, and now with some home field advantage, who knows what may be possible. We'll find out. Be there. See it in person. Get all of your information on Worlds by visiting worldchampsoregon22.com. That's worldchampsoregon22.com. See you at Hayward. All right, so before I get into a bunch of the fan listener questions that were sent in, um, I know you've tried your best to bury the memories of the 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon trials and, and how it went, but like this this performance in Boston has to kind of get you excited for the next one. I know this the time puts you in the conversation as like a contender, but it, and it's still early because it's, you know, we're, it'll probably be January, February 2023, and you always go into it like, what have you done for me lately type of approach? But this this is a good sign of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I would rather like <laughs> my Olympic stock is higher since I ran good than it had I run bad, I guess. But um, no, I mean, like I like I said with Boston, like we did not put a place or a time on what success was. And last time I ran good at Boston, I got away from that. And then I had a couple of years where I struggled and a couple of years where I wasn't probably in the best headspace um, because of all the pressure I was putting on myself. So I'm, I'm pretty determined to not do that, to like go into every race, knowing that like the only thing I can control is my effort is my tactics is the, yeah, is the training going into it. And if I run good, run to my potential and get beat, so be it. Um, so I'm pretty determined to not change on that one. So uh, you know, trying to not get ahead of myself. Yeah. So what was it about Boston that, I mean, you're, you're just so well suited for, I mean, New York, you've, you've fared well, been top American there. And that's also like another no pacers, hilly challenging course. And then kind of wrapping our head around like the trials, then why didn't it translate there? I mean, the wind was, was crazy. Just everything about that race was, was wonky. Is, is Boston kind of, the one that you're just made for uh maybe maybe a little bit um i think uh, i don't know that i would put too much stock in the trials as opposed like if you're trying to project out what races i'm quote unquote made for um i got really really sick like six weeks out from the olympic trials scott smith and i both did missed like two weeks that we really needed and I think that was a factor in me not running as well as I probably could have, um, that, and, you know, I had put a lot of pressure on myself as well. And it was a tough day. And, you know, I mean, I, like, honestly, I, I still ran 212 on a really hard day and a really hard course. Like I kind of think that that was maybe equivalent to a low to a mid 209. If you want to put us on like a Berlin or a Houston in perfect weather. Um, and I just, I got beat, you know, I got beat by people who ran better than me that day. And it was a really, it was impressive how deep that field was um, because if you had told me like we went out and saw the course in uh, December before the February race. And if you had told me that you were going to run 212, I'd be like, all right, well, I made the team. Like, obviously like that course is so hard. Um, but no, I mean, I, I just didn't have a good build up, and I just got beat on the day. So I don't think that we should be taking that result and being like, Oh, he can only run Boston. I think I can run hilly courses and I think I could run, I can run fast on flat courses, but it doesn't really make sense to me to go to Berlin or London because a, I'm not getting an appearance fee there, which like, I don't, I, I would, I like money, uh, as most people do, um, not only motivated by money, but I think it's healthy to be motivated some by money. And, uh, those races are just not conducive to me being up front. Like my half marathon PB is one Oh one 11. And like, I bet 
it over under, you know, Berlin going out in one one eleven next year. It's like probably under, probably under, probably the same with London too. Like, uh, I'm just never going to be up front in those races. So there's, that's not that appealing to me. Um, especially now that I've run 209 twice and now 208, like my incentive to go fast, go chase a fast time is sort of quelled. Yeah. So I guess deducing things, Sam Grotewall getting on the phone, all that stuff. It's very likely we'll see you in New York this fall. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, let's wait for that official offer to come through before I'm confirming anything. No, no, true, true. Uh, smart. Yeah. How do you feel about your place on the all time list? I guess 10, you know, 10th place after you factor in all the different courses and stuff, just one second back of Alberto Salazar. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I wish I was one second ahead of Alberto, but no, I'm, I'm happy about it. Like, uh, I imagine that that top 10 list is going to get rewritten over and over again for the next 20 years. So I probably won't be on it in a few years. Um, but I'm proud of what we've done so far. So, uh, I'm good. It feels crazy to think that it was what just three years ago that there was the whole uh, <laughs> kind of criticism over American men not breaking 210. You and Jared go out and run 209. Now you go out there and run 208. So, like, what, where, where do you kind of see things going? And, like, in terms of just like even your sort of potential, where, uh, you made the bold decision of not going out in 206 pace because you, you acknowledge and you recognize that you're not there yet. But can you get there? I don't want, I don't want to put like a cap on myself in terms of what I can and can't do, but I think two Oh six would maybe be a stretch. I think maybe on the perfect day, maybe at a, at a Boston tail, like if we got a tailwind at Boston, maybe, maybe there's a chance. Um, I don't know that we'll ever find out. Like I'm probably never going to run a Berlin or a London or a Tokyo, like we talked about, but um, I'm more interested in racing at this point, you know, like, I've always found that the good times come from racing, you know, this one, my previous PB, they came as a product of like competing, not as a product of going out and chasing a time. So, um, that's what I'm going to keep doing. I might PR again in my career. I sure hope I do. It's, it's really fun, but if I don't like, this is a time I'll be happy with. And hopefully the, the results in terms of like finishing, um, high will still be there. All right. We'll move into some listener questions now. Amanda J827 asks, how has the Boss Babes group changed how you look at training? I mean, Joe is just, he sort of has a little bit of a different philosophy than Ben. It's a lot, like a lot less stuff at race pace, more stuff a little bit slower and a little bit faster. Um, He's big on lactate testing. So we've done a little bit of that and we'll continue to. Um, Yeah, I mean, I try to be pretty open-minded about it and I just try to, like learn everywhere I go and I'm not like throwing out the things I learned at NAZ elite, but it is, has been nice to kind of like get a little bit of a new perspective and sort of change some of my ideas, but the lactate testing, the less stuff at marathon effort. Um, yeah, those are the, the main ones. M Gunt asks, did you have any mantras that you used or popped into your head? to get you through the race. I know in the past you've relied on some, some rap lyrics this time around. Has that changed? Uh, no, I was going to the fuck with me. You know, I got it. Um, uh, was going to the keeping the pedal down. Um, smooth, smooth, smooth for the first half. Um, and then, then yeah, then to like the real power phrases coming home. Be heel five two one ask what's the best thing you heard on the course from a fan or a fellow competitor? <laughs> I don't know. It was all pretty generic. Um, I mean, the, the crowds were great. They were really loud. I don't. I don't know that I heard any like specific stuff. There were probably some good signs out there. I don't know. I don't really remember them. Do you? Because you just kind of yeah. You just blank out and don't. But did you hear Joe or see him at any point? Because I know he he may have mentioned how he told you how some of the guys ahead of you were looking, whether it was bad or like that person struggling, go catch him. Yeah. I heard, I saw Joe at 21 and uh, he was going crazy. I heard him. I heard everything he said about some people falling off up front. Yeah. I, I heard Joe for sure. Erica Engel asks best burrito in Boston. Where'd you, where'd you end up going? Uh, 
I got tacos at um what was it called mestiza or something like that it was sort of near the finish um got some margaritas got a paloma uh let's see what other burritos i think people are very partial to anna's out there i'm gonna gonna defer to the anna's crowd on that one okay jp asks what were the four workouts you and joe referenced uh in the 10-week build and why them are these secrets you'd have to have yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. You have to ask, ask Joe um, why why he chose those specific workouts. But for the most part, we just did like a long run that was like all up tempo. Like the whole thing was five thirty to five forty pace, um, and did twenty to twenty four miles with that. Uh, did K's, did four hundreds, did miles a couple times, and then we would do like this basically a broken tempo where it was like four by 10 minutes on two minute float. Um, where, yeah. So nothing, but nothing special, nothing crazy. How often did you step on the track during this buildup? Once I did, did thresholds one day. I was supposed to do a long run in the morning that day, but it had snowed a lot. So we went to track the track in the afternoon and did, um, did some like long tempo reps uh give me a percentage uh chance you give the 10k a try on the track this year zero zero percent (laughs) zero percent chance i'm getting married the next day so i'm not going down to eugene stupid town anyways to um (laughs) to run a 10k d3 glory days fellow podcast on the city of smack podcast network ask boulder versus flag give me pros and cons um pros of flagstaff you there's more dirt roads you can basically get to a dirt road on any part of the city in 15 minutes um another pro is the college is cool about letting you use their tracks um which is not the case in boulder uh although we like joe does have a situation figured out with a high school in there in town um so um, you can go down if the weather's bad, you can, you don't have to like shovel a track. You can just go to Camp Verde or go to Sedona before people defaced that beautiful track. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then the pros of Boulder. Oh, and it's, and I guess the pro of Flagstaff, it's a little higher. Um, and the pro of Boulder for me is that Joe's there. Um, I like working. I, I liked working with him more than remote. So I'm going to keep going to Boulder for that. And uh, it's like a, it's like a real city, you know, it's like a real city where it's like, there's more than one burger place. There's like mm, so much, it's just a bigger city. You know, it's got a full, you can like live your whole life in Boulder, which is not necessarily the case in Flagstaff. Like Flag doesn't have a Trader Joe's, you know, how are you going to, how am I going to eat rainbow wraps if I don't have, you know, in Flagstaff? Luke Gallant 27 asks, who's your least favorite teammate you've ever had? God Smith. <laughs> Posky asks, what's it like being a boss babe? Do you, do you identify as a boss babe, a boss bro? <laughs> um, I think I've always been a babe and I'm just, I'm happy that it's, I'm now a boss babe. It's very <laughs> nice. Dan asks, at what point of the race did you know it was going to be a great race? Oh, we asked that already. Yeah. Um, even in a great race like this, what needs to be worked on for the next one? That's a good question. Um, like what would we have pointed to um, as being something we could get better at had it gone poorly? Um, you know, I'm kind of going to leave that one up to Joe, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I coached myself for about two weeks between leaving NAZ Elite and working with Joe and I hated it. It was horrible. Uh, so I don't, I just want to, I just want to do whatever Joe tells me and try to do it as well as I can. So Catherine asks, what's the most amount of burritos you've ate within a 24 hour period of time? Probably, probably three. I could see, I could see a three, three burrito day. Okay. Especially Uh, if I, like if I, in college, if I like went out, like the late night burrito really comes in clutch if you're trying to eat as many as possible. 
Yeah, would you? Because uh, it's easy to get to three within 24 hours if you go burrito for dinner, late night burrito, and then burrito uh, breakfast burrito the next day. Yeah, yeah. If you can include that next day, that next breakfast, it's real easy. Carson Potter asked advice for high school athletes on longevity in the sport. This was a whole thing in the lap count like two weeks ago. Mm. Really trying to like recover, like putting an emphasis on recovery. Like you don't need to be in PR shape 12 months a year. Um, never like putting current uh, success over like future performance. Um, and, and like continuing, like, it being fun the whole time, you know, um, if it stops being fun, like you're not gonna, it's not, you're not gonna really have success. It's too hard to, it's too hard of a sport to not love it. Yeah. I feel like we didn't talk too much about shoes, which is cool and great. Cause we got to focus on you as an athlete, but someone did ask for I me mean, recovery after the race versus previous races, how, are you, are your legs feeling just after overall changes in your race day gear? I'm assuming they kind of mean like from the different shoes you wore post-race, post 209-09 effort, and then post 208. I don't really remember uh, how bad I felt after the 209. Um, I feel pretty bad now though. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Once I get moving, I can kind of, kind of keep my momentum, but the starting and the stopping is, uh, is tough. Is this the worst you felt after a race? No, I felt pretty bad after the trials and I felt really bad after the marathon project too. It was just like, since that course was so flat, it's the exact same muscles the whole time. Um, but if there's undulations, like the downhills probably beat you up more, but they give like the flat sections, you are working different muscles. Then it's not the whole, all of Boston isn't downhill. You can kind of put some of your muscles on slack on the uphills and, I don't know. The change in undulation makes a difference. All right. Final thing for me before I let you go is sort of like what, what's got you sort of excited now? I mean, yes, the awesome performance, but in addition to that, like coming into this race, you were very quick to like hype up Colin, Colin Benny as someone like you could see yourself going toe to toe with, you know, over the next couple of years in the marathon and you had, you know, a day like that in Boston, Elkina Kibet also had a really strong showing, but I guess like in terms of just like what, what's got you going, I guess, about the state of us men's marathoning right now. Um, yeah, I think, I think if I was like not in it and I was just a fan who was trying to like find something to really be psyched about just the fact that I think there's like so much, so many guys who are like similarly talented that, any one of us could pop off on any given year, you know, where, you know, Colin has obviously shown it a few times run 209 and finished high at Boston. Like one of these years, CJ is probably going to put it all together. Uh, Elkanah's great. You know, he's a little bit older, but he's still running so well. Um, I believe Jared's going to figure out the Hashimoto's thing. Like, I think that it's good for the sport for there not to be, and I guess there is one giant favorite, but um, if he's not in the race or if he stops competing for one reason or another, uh, there like won't be a head and shoulders favorite. Like, I think it's good that any one of us could have a big day on any given day, you know. And another person who I didn't mention, who he was with that front group and it didn't work out for him, but Nico Montanez, who he's too talented to never put together a marathon. At some point, he's got a sub 210 written all over him. So, um, yeah, I think the fact that there are so many people with reasonable shots to be awesome and so many different people to root for is like pretty exciting from a fan's perspective. I don't know, man. I feel like not enough is being made of just like Galen dropping out of New York with this back issue or something that he's got going on and just how he had, I think something similar, I guess, at, in Jacksonville, you might end, you might be the top dog right now. So at least you've got, the no, no, magpies. we're not doing this. We're not doing this. <laughs> we're not doing this. I'm not, <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy with the performance. I'm not predicting I'm going to light the world on fire every time out. I'm not penciling myself in ahead of these guys. Like we'll strategically hype up someone else before your next couple of races. And that's the way. Can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. 
All right, Scott, I appreciate you jumping on and doing this as always. And I look forward to doing this for the 20th time after uh, your (laughs) your next big one. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. This was fun. The Sidious Mag Podcast is a production of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support Sidious Mag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash Sidious Mag to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Sidious Mag. We've also got merch over on SidiousMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.